Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Um, do you want to give a special um, shout out, Andy and James, Andy or James, to um, Ukraine and Poland for qualifying for the? You mean Sheva? Sheva's Sheva's Ukraine. Mm, yeah. Let's hear it. Let's hear it for the for the boys. Let's give the boys a hand. It's pretty impressive. Um, although Portugal don't like easy ways of qualifying for major tournaments, that that much is pretty clear. And. The same was clear again when they played in, in Kiev this week because um, they didn't defend well. They had the better of the game and should have come away with at least a point, but 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 they didn't. And um, Piatov rolled back the years with with his performance in goal and made a couple of really good saves, especially from from Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, Yarmolenko's been in good form. He has, which definitely helps. Most devastating one-footed player in world football at the moment, would you say? Well, now Arjen Robbins packed it in. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting point. Yeah. Definitely. Um, but I think when, when you think about, like, I guess a lot of people's um, thoughts, certainly in this country, of the, the current generation of, of Ukraine, uh, Ukrainian footballers, is that sort of wing twins business of Yarmolenko and Konoplyanka. And that Konoplyanka's gone back to Ukraine, has gone back to Shakhtar, and you would imagine will grow in strength throughout the, 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 the season is um, something that I think augurs pretty well for them for, for next year. But um, Shevchenko's done an incredible job to, to, to get them top of this group and, and, and winning this group. And that's going to matter in terms of, of seeding as well. So it's, it's really an in, incredible achievement by them. But well, also, I, I mean, you look at the, the team that won the uh, Under-20 World Cup mm. uh, in the summer 
that feels like a long time ago now. And also one of the players that's really impressed me since he's come to Serie A this season is Malinowski, um, who Atlanta signed. Um, he is a really technically gifted um, central midfield player who can either play as a number eight or a number 10 mm. and has allowed them to kind of rotate um, Papu Gomez or Josip Ilicic, um, which isn't easy because there are not many players like them around in terms of you know players you can play the ball into feet in the final third, can hold it up, um, can beat players, can pick a final pass, good distribution, whether it be you know, sort of crossing for a far post, you know, those kind of slide rule curlers in behind that's mm. so difficult to defend. He's a real talent um, and uh, I would definitely look out for him uh, touch wood he stays fit um, come come the summer because I think he's yeah probably still <laughs> flying a little bit under radar even though he's a part of a team that won the league in Belgium last year and was very much at the heart of that side I don't think yeah, he's mm. hardly a household name I mean I think no. he is under the radar for sure and in a group where Portugal and Serbia are are also in their group B. I mean, they've done they've done really well. Uh, and another team who've done brilliantly is Poland as well. I mean, Lewandowski's what five goals for them? I mean, the the question marks around Lewandowski will obviously be when it comes to the tournament itself. It'll be in people's minds still. I'm sure he's kind of flat to deceive in the World Cup in 2018. But yeah. they've been they've been decent in this qualification cycle, and they've they've qualified with a bit of room to spare as well. Yeah, they have, and it, it feels like he's central again, as you say. We. We don't really know how it will pan out until um, you actually get to the final stages of a tournament because that's where he's been criticised and it's been the same in the final stages of the Champions League in the last little while as well. Um, but I remember being in a press conference in, in, in France at Euro 2016 after um, that last 16 game where they won on penalties against Switzerland and um, Lewandowski had struggled up until that point. He didn't actually score in the tournament until the, the next game, which was a quarter against Portugal in Marseille. And I remember Adam Navalka, the coach at the time, who's no longer there, of course, um, sitting there and um, being asked about the fact that not only was Lewandowski not scoring, he wasn't really getting opportunities. And he was saying, well, you know, Robert's a great guy. He's not a, a normal superstar. He's happy to muck in and help the lads and all the rest of it. And I'm like, well, I'm all for work ethic, but why are you not creating a platform why why are your tactics not creating a platform for, for your him. one yeah. undeniably world-class <clears throat> player to <clears throat> to do his stuff and they had um, a fairly good team was, around that, was, that time right was it just before that with their yeah, Cuba and all sure, the rest of it sure but Pichek and stuff yeah but sh- i mean should they have ever been in a position where the team was built to feed Milik instead of Lewandowski no no. I like Arcadia's Milliken a lot, but no, mm. you know, it should have always been all about Lewandowski. And, and that was the issue. If they've found a way to get around that, then that's great. I, I do think there are questions about the, the, the team elsewhere. Um, I mean, it's, it's one of those things about international if, internationals. If you've got a glut of top class goalkeepers and, you know, Slovenia have been there before when that, when they had um, Oblak and Handanovic at the same time, what can you do with the other one? You can't fit him in a team. You know, that, that's just one of those things. But I do think, you know, you look at um, players like um, Pazdan, even uh, Kamil Glick <laughs> have really gone backwards in the, in the last couple of years. And that would concern me going forward. Also, I mean, you can say this about a lot of the groups in the qualifiers, <clears throat> but I would have expected, you know, Poland to get through a group with, you know, Macedonia, Austria, Slovenia, 
Israel, yeah. Latvia. Yeah, they've had a nice group. But I think the, the <clears> thing to <throat> add here is that on the one hand, it felt that their cycle was coming to an end um, a couple of years ago, and it looks like they're capable of going again. Andy mentioned the glut of goalkeepers um, that they've got. And, you know, in terms of strength and depth there, you know, with Szczesny, Fabianski, um, Skorupski, Dragovski, I mean, <laughs> it's pretty impressive. Um, and then, you know, Lewandowski is having to still be the guy because, you know, the, the guys that met, uh, Andy mentioned again, you know, sort of Milik and Piontek as well, have not had a very good start to the season at all, whereas Lewandowski seems to have again, once again, kind of confirmed that he is, I think at this moment in time, the best centre forward in the world. I think without the, a doubt. Mm. The other thing about Lewandowski to note as he's getting into his 30s is something I'm, I spoke about with Clive Allen actually in, in forthcoming Ramble Meets. He was saying he thinks Lewandowski has almost retreated back from doing more all-round work. You know, you think of that player he was for Dortmund and that's why he was so impossible to p- replace when he when he went because he was a player who... But like Cristiano You're saying Ronaldo, that Chiro Immobile and Adrian Ramos could not <laughs> could not replace Robert Lewandowski. Well, I couldn't replace one player between them, let alone four. <laughs> yes. But, um, you know, he, he performed so many different functions. You were never going to be able to replace him with one player. And that's that's where Dortmund were at. They realised that, didn't they? And they tried mm. to get two to replace him and it still didn't work. But now Lewandowski is simply focused on scoring goals. That's it. And, you know, some people would see that as a weakness, but... You know, it's, it's proven to be a strength for him. I'd like him to have a big tournament because I think he's, he's obviously the standout Polish goal scorer in history, yeah. um, despite them having that amazing era in the kind of 70s. Um, and 82 when they reached yeah, the early final. 80s. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it'd be great for him to have that to kind of cap off what's been a, a fantastic career. And special note for Russia as well, who've also qualified. Um, I mean, it's interesting to me that we're going into World Cup 2018 with apparently them being the worst host nation for in living memory, yet they did okay. But quite uh, quite a few teams say that before they're about to host or co-host the tournament, you know. But I think everyone was kind of saying. What's going to happen the in Austria this Euros? Because everyone's hosting it. Exactly. So <laughs> is everyone going to be the favourite? We might see some of the worst football ever. Yeah. So I mean, we're going to we've done away with that cliche of you yeah. want to see the hosts do well, don't you? Well, if, we, if England yeah. get to the semis, it's on because the semis and the final are at Wembley, as you guys know. Andy, how might these Catalonia protests affect La Liga? There's talk of the Clasico being moved from the new Camp. Uh, nine separatists have been jailed by the Spanish authorities, causing widespread protests that have caused Barcelona to change their travel plans ahead of the game against Eibar. What, what, what's the latest there? And how do you see this one? Well, La Liga have asked the RFEF, the Spanish Federation, to switch the game from... Barcelona to Madrid. So oh, that old chestnut. Yeah. No, they're not saying we think it should be moved to a neutral territory. They're saying move it to Madrid. No, but they're, they're talking about swapping the fixtures. So Barcelona would get there oh, back I see. later okay. in the season. It's not, okay. not like they're having a giveaway home fixture. Is it tell you everything you need to know about Madrid that I thought they were just saying, no, we'll play both games in Madrid, <laughs> thanks. You could definitely see them saying that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but it'd be amusing if they were going to say, we're not going to play at the Bernabeu. We're going to play it at Getafe or, or, or like at Rayo Vallecano. Yeah. You know, or, the, or, the, or the obvious choice after last year's Copa Libertadores El Monumental yeah playing Buenos Aires yeah just yeah. for security reasons so you understand but this this does strike to the core of what Barcelona have traditionally been and what they've strived to become doesn't it yeah it does because um, I think it's e- easy to forget nowadays because they're such a, a global phenomenon that this is historically an intensely political club and a club that is an overtly political symbol 
And, um, you know, it's, it's very hard to, to separate them from that. And, mm. you know, we go back a couple of years ago um, and when they had the, the protests after the Spanish in Catalonia and especially in Barcelona where um, uh, the Spanish government uh, rejected the legitimacy of the Catalan independency referendum. And they asked for it to be postponed, their match against Las Palmas in, I think it was October 2017. Yeah. Um, uh, the league and the RFEF said no, so they played it behind closed With doors. fans, yeah, I remember. Now, now I remember at the time, like seeing a lot of news pieces done by like, the BBC and CNN and various other um, international news organisations, and you know there were people outside the ground who were crestfallen, saying, "I've come to uh, from Australia, or I've come from India, or I've come from the States to see Barcelona, and 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 they're shutting us out." But I think that's a little reminder of the fact that perhaps globally, people don't really understand what Barcelona mean historically or at least they've forgotten what Barcelona mean historically and it's you know very difficult to separate a, a sense of being Catalan from from Barcelona so it is something that affects the club and affects the city o obviously from a Madrid perspective they think their security is is, is threatened in in terms of um, El Clasico mm. um, but it makes it very, very difficult for Barcelona because what it would mean if they inverted the fixtures and they end up um, playing this game in Madrid instead of at home at Camp Nou, it means it's the third away fixture in a row in a week after Abar, as you said, mm. Slavia Prague in the mm -hmm. Champions League and then leading up to El Clasico at the Bernabeu. That's hard work. And I, I don't care if people look at it and say, oh, well, Abar and Slavia Prague, they're not the most two difficult fixtures in the world. Well, a bar will be difficult enough and Slavia Prague in involves some travelling, obviously, and it is a Champions mm. League fixture. And you've got to factor in the fact that Barcelona have been terrible on the road for a long time now. I mean, they've won one away game all season um, at Getafe, which was tough and felt to an extent like a, a turning point, but still, they're at the beginning of, of turning things around. So this is something that could really affect them from a footballing sense could really affect <clears throat> their season. Is that the most and, likely outcome, do you think, by the way? Yeah, I think it is. Right. Um, and it could really uh, affect um, the outcome of La Liga as well. You look at Zinedine Zidane's been very, very clear since the end of last season that La Liga is the priority above and beyond the Champions League. It's something we talked about on here before. I know there are only two points in front at the moment, Madrid, but the fact if they were to get El Clasico at theirs at this point in the season, I think that's quite a, a big advantage. It's not to say that Barcelona are incapable of winning there. But is there some but suggestion it, it, that... It does, it does mean that it would be weighted a little in Madrid's favour. Is there some, some suggestion that this is being seen as opportunistic from Real Madrid trying to make the best of what is quite a volatile and febrile situation? Oh, clearly. The, 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 the Catalan press and... Uh, well, I know the Catalan people, press are going to say that. A lot, but I mean, a just lot of people around Barcelona feel that. Right. Absolutely. And this is something that's likely to continue long-term, these protests, because we're seeing protests erupt all over the world for lots of different reasons. And well, some as, of them have been as, quite long-standing. So. As, we've, as we've said, you know, this, this is an issue going back... A long time, A, yeah. a couple of years now, you know, that, and, and it has already disrupted the... Uh, the football calendar, but I think it's kind of a a, a bit of a recalibration and a, a, a sort of redrawing of to all of us and to the football world of of, of what Barcelona are, are really about. Because 
they've been so global, and that's something that they've actively courted and they've actively aimed to do. Mm. I, and I think a lot of hardcore Barcelona fans have you know, been upset by this. They've been upset by the Qatar links. They've been upset by the running of the club and they've been upset by what they see as moving away from the core the, values, the, the, the core values yeah. of, of, of the club. But the, the fact is, at a point like this, when it's so all-consuming and when it's such a, a public deal and when you have uh, Xavi and uh, Gerard Piquet talk, talking out about it on, on, on social media and, and in the press, it's something that's completely unavoidable Mm. interesting is it not also problematic that they're ultimately going to make a decision on this three days before the game (laughs) yeah I mean again it's something that you know obviously I have a great deal of sympathy for people who and people all over the world not just people within Spain who will have not just bought tickets but bought flights bought hotels and um, will be just left high and dry at a moment's notice. I do think this is something that Spanish football is is very bad about anyway. I mean, we know they're very bad at setting um, times and dates on the calendar. Broadly speaking, over the last couple of years, it's something that they've they've not done very well and they've done with very short notice, with very little thought um, to to the fans that are going to come to the game. I I know La Liga have have, have tried to make steps forward in terms of... um, planning fixtures further in advance and I think that's a nod towards the fact that there is a more international audience I don't Mm. just mean in terms of television but in terms of people actually coming to the games and that's something that they've 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 still got to work on um I I guess they'd say in a situation like this it's, it's it's unforeseen it's unexpected uh the veracity of the protests and it's something that's completely unavoidable Giannini, Donadoni, och bra skott, och det är du, och Kiracchi och vår! Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com 
slash host. Batte lo spagnolo, cerca Koulibaly! Calidou! Koulibaly! Al novantesimo! Segna per il Napoli! James, a lot of excitement coming out of, um, I'm going to say, the internet about a report or an article in Tuto Sports linking quite strongly Max Allegri to the Manchester United duel. I think it's I think it's something that's been suspected for some time. Talk <laughs> of Allegri learning English, talk of him only sort of cancelling his sabbatical for a genuinely big job, talk of Man United being one of the worst football teams in the world on the pitch at the moment, <laughs> despite spending £47 billion a season on players. Um, something that's probably going to get a bit worse after they lose to Liverpool this weekend. Can you, a lot of the people have, have emailed in OTC at footballroundwithdaily.com and a lot of the questions are, can you please ask James how real this is? What's the veracity of this reporting? Is there, some, is there anything we should know about? What's, what's moved? The report is written by Guido Vachago, who I think is Tutorsport's most authoritative uh, writer. Um, so I think it's to be taken seriously. Um, from my end... Give us a little uh, price of what the article actually said for those who haven't seen it. So the article says that um, there is contact between United and Allegri. Um, yeah, just to speculate, I mean, that would not be a surprise given the situation that United find themselves in. Yeah. Um, what, 17 points from their last 17 games. They've got this game coming up against Liverpool at the weekend. Um, yeah, I think even though the brief from United is that Solskjaer is in no jeopardy, there's a level of incredulity about that because of where United are at. Um, and the fact that they're obviously on manoeuvres. Everyone knows they're on manoeuvres behind the scenes. Well, and the thing is, Allegri, I think, would like to work in England. I think that has been an ambition of his for some time. Even when he uh, was fired by Milan, it was something that he was taking into consideration to come and work over here. There are two jobs that look like, um, well, I wouldn't say um, there are ones that are being scrutinised by by the media, and that's United and the one at Spurs mm. um, as well. And Allegri was at, I think he was at the Bayern game um, as a guest of, I think, Franco Baldini, who sat with Patrice Evra, um, watching watching that. Hashtag, from, from, hashtag from, squad goals. Well, no. <laughs> Look, I mean, from what I can gather, uh, I think you would like to go to United, just as a lot of other um, high-profile coaches yeah, so would obvious. like to to go to to that club uh, because of the con- history and tradition of it, and to be the guy who turns that club around. Is there any concern about the infrastructure, though? Any concern about what's happening off the pitch and what the what their kind of direction is? Uh, undoubtedly, um, but I think there's there's uh, if you look at United quite crudely, um, you can you can see in that club a the potential and b the fact that they are very very wealthy. Yeah, and and that if you are listened to and you have clear ideas as to what uh, you think the squad needs, then you can go about changing that. Um, and also, I think yeah, something has to be said about United is that. Having a manager who um, elite players want to play for um, and, and look at, you know, when they see United and think, oh, yeah, they, they've they've got a manager there who can win things. Yeah. I'm not necessarily sure that that is the perception that they have at this moment in time with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as the manager. Um, you know, unless you're 
you, know, you grew up as a United fan. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think yeah, his track record um, does not point to someone who is a you know serial winner of trophies in elite leagues. I said at the time they might as well have hired Clive Tilsley. They've essentially they've essentially hired the commentary of the nineteen ninety nine Champions League final to manage Man United. That's that's what's happened. I mean, to, to, to again give you some info on on Allegri, Allegri is still currently being paid by uh, Juventus. Um, yeah, but he was. He was fired, um, and it's yeah. Ultimately, as we, we've we've spoken about on this pod before, um, you know, coaches will remain on the books of a club until they find a new club. And I think with uh, with Juventus as well, there was a degree of goodwill um, towards Juvent- uh, towards Allegri after everything that he had achieved with the club. Um, and so. You and I were talking about this this week, actually, weren't we, James? The, the, the fact that it's very easy to forget with Schalke putting out that tweet this week mm. about Domenico Tedesco saying, uh, Domenico Tedesco is, uh, has, has now uh, come to an agreement for the end of his contract with Schalke and we wish him all the best at Spartak Moscow. And you think, okay. Yeah, because he's still being paid. <laughs> yeah, I'm still on the payroll. Yeah, yeah. and... Uh... And again, something with Allegri is that he's kind of studied English on and off since he was at since he was at Cagliari. Oh, right, um, okay. And I've been at uh, press conferences uh, with him. Let's say you know the ones where Juventus have played Spurs or an English side in the Champions League, City. Hmm. And you know when he's been asked questions in English, um, he hasn't needed the interpreter sat next to him to translate the question. Only mm-hmm. his answer. He has understood um, what he's been asked. Um, I still think speaking English would be uh, would be a problem. Also, from Juventus's point of view, I think they just published their um, their accounts, and you know Allegri's kind of Allegri and his staff cost them kind of sixty million euro gross over the year. So that's that's a big expense. They want to, to get rid to, of it to, to be to be paying. Wow. Well, I mean, it's, it's 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 not unusual for a, for a top club to have a manager. I mean, you look at Diego Simeone, what he mm. gets paid, and that is yeah, that true. is after yeah. tax. But yeah. crucially, Diego Simeone is still managing the club. Yes, <laughs> that's yes. a crucial difference. But, uh, as we've as we've ascertained on this, this isn't unusual. No, no. no. Um, so, so do you expect him to to do you do you expect United just to go out and say? We're working in this way, so what we need to do is get the best manager we can get who's currently available to get the most out of this team, and it's really as simple as that, and Allegri is the one they want. Yeah, and also I think you know what would be quite unusual about, say, urgent intervention is that surely if you're going to get rid of the manager, you should be doing it you know, prior to an international break. Um, so why, why is that the why is that the conceived wisdom though? Why is that the kind well, of because ultimately wisdom? you 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 may get and I say may conditional ten or fourteen days to work with the players. The reason I use the conditional is because when you're manager of a club like United, they're all off an international. They're duty. all on a, off an international the, duty the thing, anyway. The thing I find interesting, I don't want to get this into a um, into a, a proper English based chat because we'll do that tomorrow on on the preview show. But they play Liverpool at home this weekend. Easy game. A lot, but a lot of attention is made of that. But the, the, the thing is. It's not. I don't think that's the key game. You don't think they'll be, judge, he'll wherever, be judged. Wherever on those Liverpool brilliant, and I actually think May United. I mean, I mean, they got a draw against Arsenal, didn't they? They they they, they can kind of get themselves up for those type of games. They go away to Norwich and away to Bournemouth after that. They're the two killer games. Yeah, they're the games that, where he'll come unstuck if he's going to come unstuck. Also, I, I do think uh, I have Bless the impression you, that United are quite sensitive to um, the intensity of the media glare when it comes to. I mean, you, and you can imagine after a def- say after a defeat to Liverpool, depending on the margin of that defeat, mm. 
there will be a lot of pressure. Oh, if they get whipped six 0 it's a different story. Yeah. It's a different story. We'll watch it for interest. But but one manager, James, just to change tack ever so slightly, who has taken the job is uh, everyone's best friend, um, Claudio Ranieri. He's taken over. Yeah, he's he's been ruled out of the the United, the United job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. To, re- to return the glory days yeah. to Man Allegri must be rubbing his hand, thinking, "I've got more of a chance now." Yeah. Claudio's gone. He's gone to the worst team in Serie A. Is that fair? Uh, well, on paper at least. It, well, in terms of the 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 table at the moment, mm. um, yes. Um, on paper, start. no. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, you're absolutely right, Luke. Six defeats in seven games. I um, meant on paper. If, if the specific piece of paper was the league table, yes, then it's absolutely <laughs> yeah. on paper. Okay, well the then, then then you're spot on. Yeah. Um, but uh, Claudio has come in um, playing it, Roma in the first game. Interestingly, yeah. Although there are some doubts as to whether that game will be played um, because um, it's anticipated that there will be some pretty heavy uh, rainstorms and bad weather. Right. Um, uh, and. Unfortunately, we've seen that city and that that part of Italy um, have experience of bad flooding and games, particularly oh the the Ferraris, be be called off because pitch doesn't drain. It's just a bit of a bit, bit of a nightmare, really. Um, right. So, so there's some doubts around that. But no, Ranieri comes in. Uh, he has you know, been pretty clear that his job is to save Sampdoria um, from from relegation. They don't want to let the situation. Uh, continue any further let it drift and I think one of the things that he has to first sort out is um, A he has to make them hard to beat which is something that he did with Roma when he came in uh, for Di Francesco again uh, last year he's replacing (laughs) Di Francesco once more what's Um, happened to Di Francesco and Claudio is like oh god I hope he doesn't hate me uh, for just you know keeping coming in and just sort of uh, I suppose clearing up clearing up Di Eusebio's mess Um, but He'll teach them the ABCs of football. You know, I, I, you can probably pretty much guarantee that they'll start. They'll start this game against Roma if it goes ahead, playing four four two. He needs to help. He needs to stop them conceding goals. Needs to impose some kind of discipline because you've got yes, penalties being given away. You've got um, Murillo, who's a liability, getting sent off whenever he's eligible to play. Um, you have a, a team that as soon as it goes behind, the heads go down and they collapse. They completely collapse. They can, they can see two, three, four goals in the space of 10, 15 minutes and the game's gone. And he needs to get Qualiarella scoring again. Yeah, let's not forget Qualiarella is the reigning Capocannoniere in Serie A and he scored, mm. I think, once this season, which yeah. was is it a season too, Is it a season too far for him though? For Qualiarella? Yeah, is that why? I think Qualiarella's still got something to give as long as the team is is uh, plays to his strengths, which it never was under, under Di Francesco. Mm. Under Di Francesco, they wanted a, what, 36, 37-year-old to press from the front and run like a madman, mm. which, you know, with all the will in mm-hmm. the world and all the, you know, sort of, despite Qualiarella knowing his own body, knowing what's best, you know, that is is going to be a tall order from it, for any player of that age um, to play with the intensity that Di Francesco expects and expected um, of his Samp players. So, you know, I, I think ultimately one of the reasons why Samp are in this, in this position, it's not entirely down to Di Francesco. He did try and shake things up. He tried to change how the team played the system, but he was undermined um, by the fact that the club has been in a takeover talks for, for a hell of a long time. It dragged on and dragged on which impacted the business that they did in, in, in the summer, um, limited the business that they did in the summer. And 
I think rather than distracting the players, it certainly meant that Di Francesco didn't get the kind of players that he wanted to come in so he could actually execute the kind of style of football that he wanted to play because Sampo were a team that played 4-4-2 diamond, no wingers under Giampaolo and Di Francesco plays 4-3-3 or 3-4-3. He wants width, he wants wingers and there's simply no width, no wingers in that team unless you convert your fullbacks to wingbacks. So, I mean, James, how much is there parallels with, with the Sampdoria connection with, say, Marco Giampaolo going to Milan and not really having the players that he needed for his system? I mean, is, is that the coach's fault in not adapting to the players or is it the club's fault in not providing those players? And the other question I wanted to ask with Sam is how much of their problem has been losing two of their best players in Joachim Anderson and Dennis Pryor not really replacing them. Yeah, I think they've got an issue in that um, Murillo, one more experienced than Joachim Anderson, um, is just not as good a player. Mm. Even though he's played at Inter, Valencia and Barcelona, there's a reason why he keeps hop-skipping. Well, uh, Anderson can really pass it, can't he? Yeah, mm. it's precisely. And they don't have any kind of invention um, in midfield um, without um, Dennis Pratt. They've got some honest athletic players um, who've, who've got good potential, you know, be it Linetti, be it uh, Vieira, um, but um, they don't really have anyone p- certainly playing the way that uh, Di Francesco wanted to play, who can pick a pass and break the lines in the way that Prep could. Um, but to, to go back to, to what you were saying about um, managers unable to adapt, yeah, this has always struck me as, as something with you know Italian owners, sporting directors, yeah, when you appoint a manager, um, you look at their track record. You know that they play a style, of, one particular style of football, and they always have. Particularly if you've got enough kind of a sample size to say, actually, at Roma and at Sassuolo and you know these other clubs, mm. Di Francesco always played this way. Same with Milan. I, yeah, the brief from Milan has has been that they were surprised how narrow-minded Giampaolo was about you know the mm. system that he wanted to play. It's like, well, hang on a minute. If you'd watched anything from his Samp days, from his Empoli days, you knew that he plays 4-4-2 diamond and he doesn't really deviate from that. Mm. But isn't, isn't, so, there, isn't there a tradition in Italy that <clears throat> the coach just coaches the players? Yeah. So, so, the, so the hierarchy are, are forgiven for saying, you know the players you've got to work with, can you work with them? Precisely. And, and, and someone like Gian Paolo thought, well, it's Milan, so I'm going to go there. Yeah. And then it's not been compatible. So to answer Andy's original question, sure, it's a bit of both. It's the coach being too dogmatic, mm. but it's the hierarchy making the appointment in the first place and not matching the coach with the players, right? Well, part yeah. of it's fate and luck as well, isn't it? Because, you know, we talked about how whole transfer chains can collapse in the summer. Mm. At the moment when... Lyon decided that they weren't buying Suso from Milan and they were going to buy Jeffrey Adelaide instead from Angers. That made the whole chain collapse where they were stuck with Suso, who's a terrific player, but not really what Giampaolo wanted. They couldn't get Correa from Atletico Madrid. And that's not something that either the club or the coach could do something about, is it? No, but it looks like Suso will probably be on the market again come the summer because I think yesterday it was reported that Milan in their accounts 143 million in the red. Oof. So even though even though they've renegotiated their uh, agreement with UEFA over financial fair play, that is a major obstacle to overcome. And you know, come January. Um, they may be compelled um, to put Suzo on the, on, on the market again. The, the problem is, is that Suzo likely doesn't have the value that he did 
um, in the summer um, because you know his performances, you know, in my opinion, certainly for the last nine months, have not really justified um, the kind of feeling within Milan that he's a really important player. To he was standout at the time. I remember a year, a year or so ago when we were yeah. talking about him. He was like the, Milan's best player. Mm, now, without doubt. Andy, Leon have made their move. Gone after Roma legend Rudy Garcia. How do you make? What do you make of that? Well, there are a lot of very unhappy Leon fans out there. I can that, imagine that, that's for sure. Um, a lot of them uh, digging through Google images to uh, pick out that that shot of him posing happily as a Saint Etienne assistant. Mm. You know, uh, they can't get enough for each other, Saint Etienne and Leon, yeah. at the moment, can they? After uh, what you guys were talking about on last week's show, of course, and the, kind the, of superhero, super supervillain. Yeah, yeah. They, have to, they, have to, they need each other to have sort of relevancy. But but really, it's is less about the fact that he was uh, assistant uh, coach of Saint Etienne, and more about the fact, um, not even that he was coach of Marseille in his, his his last job, but in how he behaved and how he interacted with with Leon while he was um, coach mm. of, of, of Marseille. And the, the fact that... Because um, they're rivals as well, Marseille and Lyon, right? So it's not yeah, just an Etienne thing. They he was most recently other. seen at Marseille, who are also big rivals of Lyon. Yeah, and it's not just that. Like I say, it's the way that Garcia interacted with, with Lyon, with um, them as a team, uh, with Jean-Michel Olas, the, the, the president. And neither Olas or Janino looked as if they were exactly letting off the party poppers at the introductory press conference. <laughs> Um, uh, obviously part of that is because Janino is having to eat some humble pie after sure. what, what happened to Silvino but uh, Rudy Garcia had said uh, previous gems from when he was uh, in charge of Marseille include uh, Leon would struggle to be in the top five if VAR existed uh, when, they, when, 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 when they were battling it out for uh, a Champions League place with uh, right. with Marseille. So he wears his heart on his sleeve then. This, uh... And yeah, I mean, Garcia's defence, which I think was a fairly reasonable one, his is, is introductory press conference earlier this week was, well, when I'm in charge of a club, I defend them to the hill. Mm. And I suppose that's quite hard to argue with in a sense. But at the what? moment, Leon fans are not happy at all. And that means he's got a lot of work already to do to, yeah. to turn it around. Now, where I think he does turn it around or where I think at least there's the potential to turn it around, is what Janino said and, you know, how the mighty have fallen in terms of the grand ambitions they had at the start of the season, is Janino was saying at some length in that press conference, we've lost the base that Bruno Genesio built us. And again, that's not a great way to sell it to the fans because the fans have been saying for the last couple of years, Genesio is not a guy who's big enough for this club. Yeah, we understand he's a guy who has Leon in his heart, but you know he's someone who's just there because he's he's chums with the academy players, and you know he he can't get the players to perform consistently each week. We saw Genesio could get them to perform in some very big games last season, but mm. he couldn't get them to do <clears throat> he it. He delivered them Champions League football, though, right? Yeah, but one I mean, one would one would say that's the bare minimum with the, the second best set of players in France. He I, also, don't, I don't like the second best set of players in France at the moment. Well, no, they they don't, and that's the whole problem. Yeah. Um. In in terms of budget, in terms of the players they've got, you know, they they should be up there at least hanging on Charging, to the coattails yeah. of, of of Paris Saint-Germain. But I think it was really interesting to hear Janinho expand and say, the thing is, whatever you say about Genesio, um, the football was attacking. It was exciting. And that's absolutely right. He did make the most of, of, of those attacking players. Now, the whole problem with Silvino 
was not just the fact that he couldn't make his mind up on a tactical system, but when they went into big games, like against Paris Saint-Germain, like against uh, Saint-Étienne, both of which they didn't score in and both of which they lost to late goals, mm. is the, the fact that they didn't even play with three at the back, they played with five at the back. Having signed yeah. off with Janino that they were going to play 4-3-3 at the start of the season because there was always the sense, and I think that weakened Silvino significantly, the, the fact that it was really Janino's team and he was just, he was, Silvino was just the name above the door. But that's certainly the joke you guys were consistently told. making the entire time he was in situ, guys. So you 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 have contributed to this, uh, undermining him, mocking him at every turn. I feel, <laughs> I, feel I feel proud. <laughs> you got what you wanted. <laughs> but but the fact they were playing with five in the back at, at those massive games and you know they weren't seeking to be proactive was something that negatively affected the perception by the supporters and, and negatively affected the perception by everyone at the club. That's where Garcia can change things, I think, because he has, whatever you think about him, he's someone who has a really firm philosophy as a coach. And, the you know, Brendan of Liga. There we go. I would have loved what, it. What I would have loved it. a compliment. Do you know what? Because um, this would have been fantastic. Sadly, it didn't quite come to pass, but you're talking about Garcia's, Garcia's comments when he was coaching Marseille. Yeah. And... Um, of course, they they Leon probably not only sort of thought what you just said there, Andy, but also thought, well, this is a guy that took Marseille to the Europa League final. You know, and they were, okay, they were outclassed badly. Won the league through. with Lille. Yeah, quite. Yeah, double. But the great thing about the Europa League final is it was at Lyon. And he, would, he could have come to the press conference and said, I'm the last person to win a trophy here for Marseille. <laughs> <laughs> that would amazing. He wasn't able to. No, I he mean, wasn't. They got outclassed in the final. They got whooped. Was it 3-0? Yeah. Yeah. But but there's say, a huge class gap between those two teams. Mm, Rudy is I've done brilliantly to get to the final. I yeah. did. Rudy is a very charismatic guy. Um, I, yeah, in terms of like pushing buttons, I, I remember when he was uh, at Roma. Some of the things he said, yeah, they really kind of whipped up um, the kind of uh, fan base and got them all behind him. And I don't think really anyone's done that since um, at yeah. Roma. And he is someone who presents and interviews very well. And Again, we I think we talked last this time last week that Laurent Blanc was was the favourite for for the job. Um, I think so, so, uh, Janino had put him forward. Benga was, was in the mix as well, apparently. Dis- disappointed mm. in the in, in in how he interviewed, and this was kind of the similar thing with when Garcia got the Roma job because Blanc went in before him to talk to the club, and uh, and then didn't get it. And I think Garcia tells his story in his his book, um, which was that yeah, Garcia basically sent a text to his agent saying that you know Roma's sporting director at the time, Walter Sabatini, preferred to yeah after fifteen minutes left Blanc's interview to go and have a cigarette. And to be honest, <laughs> Sabatini Sabatini can't go five minutes without a cigarette, right. so that's that doesn't necessarily it's from the mean anything. School of cigarette. It's but, a compliment, really. But but, <laughs> but but Garcia basically won that job. Um, as being a complete outsider because, um, yeah, I make the the Brendan comparison kind of you know, quite favourably, really, because he goes in there with a huge dossier. Like, this is what I know about your club. This is the project I have for your club. I'm completely aware of the situation. This is how we are going to change things. And it's a very good sell. It's a very good pitch. In a sentence, what, how do they see, how do Roma see Garcia's reign there? Very briefly. 
Uh, well, I mean, first season was was incredible. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, everyone has this idea that Juventus have been completely unchallenged for eight years. Um, but the truth is, is that they were challenged by first Allegri's Milan with yeah. Ibrahimovic and Thiago Silva, then by completely by surprise by um, Garcia's Roma, who won their first ten games, yeah, ten or eleven games, yeah. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, when we judge. Conte and his record in the Champions League they went out in the group stage that year primarily because they're like Jesus yeah we've got to focus on the league we've got here. to focus on the league here yeah. because Roma are running away with this I think I think it's hard to get away from the fact that he's not a household name or whatever certainly not in this country that Rudy Garcia is he's an excellent coach and yeah. I agree they, I agree did yeah. they win the double did he win the double at Lille double with he did. Lille for the and, first time since the 50s and he could have essentially have his pick of the job yeah. his pick of the jobs he eventually goes to Roma his win percentage at Roma was higher than his win percentage at Lille yeah. so he did a decent enough job there as well so all it's would, an exciting appointment for them yeah, yeah. all I would say is the biggest possible compliment you can pay to uh, Roma under Rudy Garcia is the fact that there's that story isn't there that um, at one Oktoberfest with the right time of the year uh, Pep Guardiola after a couple of drinks goes hey Juventus are playing Roma tonight let's all get a private plane over there and go and see the game come on <laughs> what a Kino absolute yeah. Kino but the thing is I That's mean brilliant. Uh, I was talking about the, the kind of charisma that Garcia has like some of the things that he said at the time have become have entered the lexicon of Italian football like putting the church back in the centre of the village all <laughs> this sort That's of thing nice. that is nice um, yeah he, uh, he he had he has a real way of wayward words which you know ultimately is one of the reasons why there's so much resistance to his appointment at mm. Lyon yeah but I mean you know what football fans are like and I, I don't profess to know the, the ins and outs of the, of, the, of the exact rivalry between those two teams he wins a few games, a few games up his belt. They go up the table. If they win with style, yeah, I, I think that, be, that, that's fine. That, mm. That's big. Yeah, that's look, big. You know, look what happened. You know, when Alex McLeish went across the the divide in Birmingham. You know, it can happen. <laughs> They're still very, very popular there. Yeah, um, but but you know, Garcia, you know, you're openly fun of Marseille. Double with Lille. Good reputation and good win percentage at Roma. I think it's an exciting appointment. I, I'm I'm surprised that. With respect to the teams he has coached, I'm surprised Garcia's not gone on to mm. bigger and better things even even than that. Maybe yeah. he will. Well, if he turns I, it around at Lyon, it's a, it's a huge feather well, in his cap. Neymar's out, injured again. The, you know, you've got, you've well, got, he can manage Neymar got, full no, time. The, the, That's the a full time is, job. This is, this is what I'm saying. Is you've got you know, Neymar, um, Icardi, uh, sorry, Neymar, Mbappe and Cavani. They haven't played together this season. They haven't played together for nine months. They haven't played together for nine months. It's mm. on. Yeah, Leon already, Leon already and, 12 and points already, Andy's already booking his flights to yeah. Leon in May to go and celebrate James. the league title. <laughs> yeah, Leon are only 12 points behind them after nine yeah, games. So you know, <laughs> what could go, it's on. go wrong? Quick note for um, the legend that is Bastian Schweinsteiger. Yes. We mention him? I, think, I feel like we shouldn't let the episode go past without talking about his career, maybe even if it's just briefly after he announced his retirement at the age of, I think, 35. Amazing player down the years. Yeah, he really was. And I think the, the biggest compliment you can pay to him is he was he was a tremendous player in two different positions. Hmm. And, you know, you think of... I thought you were going to say for two different clubs then. <laughs> Bayern and Manchester United. <laughs> Chicago <Huh>? Fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I think, like, when you think how good he was as a winger in his early years, on either side... Mm. And and then obviously, say you compare him to like, I don't know David Beckham, and Beckham always felt that he needed to establish himself in central midfield to be taken seriously in the lexicon of great midfield players. I I, I think that's I don't think that's right. 
But I think the fact that Schweinsteiger was able to move into midfield and later into deep midfield and become one of the reference players there as well shows that he was one of the very best. But with him, it's not just about what he was as a player, but what he meant to Bayern as an institution and in in the dressing room. Um, I would be very unsurprised to see him uh, come into the fold in in, in terms of management at some point later down the line. Uh, that would be completely natural and I'm, sh- I'm sure Bayern are very, very keen. Get a job above, um, up in the up in the top brass and just stick the boot into Kovac. Well, I, I think it, by the time Schweinsteiger uh-huh. comes in, I don't think do Kovac will still be there. Do me, it now. More, more grist to the mill. <laughs> but, what do you think about Kovac? He's a wanker. Hey. <laughs> but I, I think... Uh, that the reason that's so notable is we, we talked about Pep Guardiola before and some of his his bolder decisions at, at Bayern. I mean, I think we can look at it on, on a sporting level and say he did completely the right thing, getting rid of Schweinsteiger when he didn't. Everything since has has proved him right, but it was still a very traumatic and a very bold move because of what Schweinsteiger meant to the club and people had a, a real difficulty letting go. Clearly the um, injuries were starting to mount up and um, his influence on the pitch was really starting to wane. But it really hurt Bayern to get rid of him. And it was a mm. really tough decision that really an outsider like Guardiola needed to needed to make. An, a, an outsider with that sort of power. Say if it was today, Kovac would never have the power to get rid of Schweinsteiger. It just wouldn't happen. Mm. So it was something that needed to be done and Guardiola needed to to do, but it was something that you know left its mark. He, he was he's greatly missed, and the day that he arrives back at the club, it will be a great cause for celebration. James, any um, stand that memories of Bastian Oof. World Cup final? Yeah, he was immense mm-hmm. in, uh, in 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 Brazil. Uh, also, just like remember when he burst onto the scene in uh, one summer was that was that Euro two thousand and four? Was it two thousand four? I think he made his debut for Germany in 2004. Yeah. So it could have been, yeah. Yeah, well, there's a, again, he was, uh, he, uh, I'm, I might be, this might be my, my recollection might be wrong here, but I remember obviously Germany were at that time uh, not what, uh, not what they once were and yet to be what they were to become. And yet he was seen as the shining light of that, of that team. Um, I think he, I think he symbolized what he, he evolved into over the years. Did, did the he years not symbolize well. this kind of move into a new era for Germany after their kind of Annus Horribilis in 2001 ish? Yeah, he, he was, he was definitely, he was part of uh, Klinzi's big kickoff. There's no doubt about that. Hundreds, over a hundred. Das Rebord? Yeah, over a hundred international caps, captained in the team uh, at international level, what, 18 trophies or something like that, about 500 doubles in Germany, won the Champions League, won the World Cup. He'd done it all, really. Did, did arguably the best ice bucket challenge. Did he really? Ever, God, that is remember? a blast from the past. Because he was, uh, basically, it was him stood on the balcony of his flat, emptying a bucket and then running down the stairs and being drenched by the bucket afterwards. Oh, creative. Wow. You wouldn't expect that from, at that point in his career to be so creative. No. Would I mean, you? that's that's more intensity than any United fans yeah. saw, saw from him. <laughs> yeah. Won the FA Cup with Man United as well, by the way. Well, I mean, there's some great anecdotes in, was it uh, Danny Taylor's piece about United and the Athletic about Schweine. Mm. Which, uh, you know, for his, his time at United, which, you know... Let's Maybe. not judge him on no, that. No. Let's not judge him on no. that. I'd have thought on the ice bucket challenge at that point, he would have been much more content to pass the bucket off simply to someone else yeah. and let them pull it over <laughs> the right yeah. head. 
Let's get your games of the week, guys, uh, very quickly, if you don't mind. We're bringing back games of the week. We're bringing Yay! it back under huge, huge popular demand. I mean, just to the point where I could no longer ignore it. Mm. Um, so we're bringing back games of the week. Andy, you are in Germany for yours, I believe. So uh, yes. tell us what it is. Battle of the Borussias. Uh, Saturday tea time. And uh, yeah, food recommendation to come. Yeah, Dortmund <laughs> against Gladbach. Right? It's, it's Dortmund versus Borussia Mönchengladbach. And uh, seeing that Dortmund in the last three games have drawn and given away the lead in all of those games, uh, they clearly need some points. And if you look at this game on the whole, I mean, it's, it's a game that's a really two, two big names in German football. But Dortmund in this fixture have had it all their own way in recent years. They've won the last five meetings between these two at Westfalen. Um, but Gladbach arrive as league leaders, which is something completely unprecedented. And it was in the first couple of weeks of the season when they look as if Marco Rosa was struggling to get it together. But I think you look at their enduring counter-attacking style. You look at the fact that uh, Alessand Player, uh, Marcus Turam, um, even Briel and Bolo, uh, who's, who's, who's getting it together, are all in really good. Keeping nick. it Briel, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, I I think they could present a problem or two for Dortmund. And you know, there've been increasing questions about Lucien Favre, and you know, kind of hinted at it last week, didn't didn't you? When last was mm. talking about Dortmund, and well, they've hit the buffers of their difficulties. They? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, maybe the international break has been a time for Favre to to reassess because they've always been doubts over his ability to go from contender to finishing it off certainly in a in a Bundesliga context mm. so this is where he has the chance to start putting that to bed or to Dortmund reach a point where they decide they have to move on with this extremely talented squad I think that that is for me the standout game of the weekend I'm excited for it um, James you're going to have to go some to, to match up to that what have you got well no I mean i I'm looking forward to watching Lazio Atalanta at two o'clock on on Saturday. Yeah, just because you get to see Atalanta play against a team in kind of you know kind of Manchester City blue. Um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> game. Um, Already won at the Olympico once this, this season. Yeah, they have, and uh, I must say, contrary to their performances in the Champions League, this They've is been wicked, right? This is Atalanta's best start in. Is this your selection? That's yes. Atlanta, okay, yes. correct. Because normally you do about five, and then you say, "Oh no, but no, no." Uh, yeah, I think this is, um, yeah, probably the most balanced game of the weekend. Even I mean, though, I mean, my real selection is Leon versus Dijon. Just yeah. so you know, yeah, so, we're all keen for that one. <laughs> but um, no, I mean, very Atlanta, good. The, the, the issue that Atlanta have got is that Duran Zapata, who's you know made the most prolific start to a season of any. Um, Atlanta strike since Pippo and Zaghi back in the mid 90s mm. he suffered a uh, an injury with Colombia during the international break and will miss the city games miss this game so they're they're piling on to Luis Muriel uh, and Muriel has the best kind of minutes to goal ratio in the league at the moment but that's because he's been a really good impact sub and the, the rub with with uh, Muriel has always been can you rely on him to stay healthy um mm to play three games a week or just a game a week mm. um, so be curious and, and Lazio as well I think have been unlucky so far this season um, they hit the post four times against against Roma in the derby should have won that game that's careless not unlucky they had a penalty well I mean <laughs> four times it's, it's you know you're, you're, life's a game of inches uh, true you know and, um, Al Pacino <laughs> Is it Al Pacino? Is it that or Ron Jeremy? It's Al Pacino. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, and also in the in the game against Bologna, 
uh, before the international break, they had a penalty to win that game late. And Joaquin Correa, who I think is a um, a really, really good player. I love him. Velcro touch. The only thing is, he gets into so many scoring positions, he just fluffs it all the time. Fluff that penalty. He fluffed chances against Inter. Um, and, you know, I just, yeah, he's a really exciting player to watch. So much as I would say, go watch Malinovsky if you haven't seen him yet. Go watch Papu Gomez, Ilicic. I'd say go watch Correa for this game as well. There's lots of talent on display. And I would be very interested to see how Inter bounce back against Sassuolo away. Yes. Sassuolo, I was reading the other day that Sassuolo, I think, have got the highest ball percentage in mm. the league. Yeah. They, love, they love having the ball. They're going to be at home. Mm. It'll be curious how Inter sort of tackle that especially after their disappointment of losing their first game of the season albeit a couple of weeks ago against Juventus but Inter yeah. don't need the ball to be effective do they but it still makes it a fascinating encounter sure I, th- I think I think so um, and Sassuolo typically under Zerbi have raised their game when they've played against the, yeah. the big teams um, and uh, this is you know going to be quite an emotional occasion I would suggest because Giorgio Squincy the, the kind of um, patron of of Sassuolo um, he passed away um, before the last round of fixtures, mm. which is why Sassuolo's game against Brescia was was called off. Um, and he was a massive uh, Milan fan. And he used to love nothing more than when Sassuolo went and beat Inter. In fact, he would have a plaque <laughs> put on the wall of his office every time they beat Inter because they made such a regular habit of it. Yeah. And when they didn't beat Inter, they lost 7-0 to Inter. So either <laughs> way, this game has got great history as well because it's the one that Icardi, who sadly is no longer into... Uh, famously kind of, um, uh, you know, said, shall we go outside to those into ultras? Remember mm. after, mm. Uh, uh, this was the patch- passage of his autobiography, which ended up... Um, In big trouble. Almost with him um, leaving, well, the first time around and it never happened. Well, so. they said, didn't, didn't they start saying you'll never be our captain and all this kind of stuff after that? Yeah. So, so and he, he stayed on as captain until his wife basically decided to... Uh, yeah, throw his teammates under the bus. So there's a lot there's a lot to recommend that game as well. This was a Stakhanov production.